What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. This is part one of your 2020 wide receiver preview. Adam Azer with Dave Richard, Ben Gretsch, and Heath Cummings. Can't think of anything clever to say about wide receivers. Somebody say something interesting or clever about this position. I'd be happy to, Adam. Great. At least 49 receivers have averaged at least 10 PPR points per game in four of the past five seasons. 49 different receivers have given you 10 PPR points per game. Now you're probably thinking 10 PPR points, that's nothing, anybody can do that. Only 11 receivers total have averaged 20 PPR points per game in the last five years. 11 total, not 49 per year. So there's a big old glut between 10 PPR and like 19.9 PPR here. And uh, it, it's kind of setting the table to hear about how deep wide receiver has been and how deep wide receiver will continue to be. That was, another one. that was really good. That was really good. Okay, Heath, try, try to I'm beat that. I'm done for the show. I'm leaving. I'm done. That's good. <laughs> Top that. I'm out. Over the past two seasons, Devontae Adams has averaged more fantasy points per game in PPR than any running back scored last year besides Christian McCaffrey. That's pretty good. I like these are good. Ben, what the hell do you have? Nothing. All right. All right. I'll tell you that in terms of average draft position trends, we've had 25, is it? I think 25 wide receivers taken in the first round over the last five years, but only seven in the last two years. So it's gotten a little bit more running back heavy. Um, it's actually 24 wide receivers in the last five years, but only seven over the last two years. So uh, that's a bit of a change. And, and the wide receivers that have been taken in round three in the last two years have done better. That's not really a surprise because they're higher up in ADP because fewer wide receivers going in round one. I hope that makes sense to everybody. Uh, but I think that trend is kind of continuing this year. It's very, very running back heavy. And this is even in, this is in PPR I'm talking about. In PPR, only seven wide receivers over the last two years were round one picks, according to Fantasy Football Calculator. Um, all right, so give me your overall thoughts on the wide receiver position this season. And Ben? What can you tell us here? What your overall thoughts on wide receiver? Um, I think it's a bit misunderstood. Uh, I I think there are. I I I think it's deep, but I also think that there's a pretty significant drop off after about the top forty. Um, I think that we talk a lot about consistency, but it's the most high variance position 
Uh, and especially in leagues where you start three receivers, that variance that we talk about on an individual level doesn't impact your roster as much as one would think because you don't actually have a whole lot of weeks during the year where true boomer bust receivers all boom in the same week or all bust in the same week. It all kind of levels out, um, which goes along with a lot of other points I've made throughout the year. And I also think uh, just generally the idea of like a boomer bust receiver is kind of a, a poor concept. It's something that I think we apply retroactively. Uh, guys like T.Y. Hilton, as soon as he started booming more frequently, we just called him a stud. And other guys that we thought of as, you know, maybe in that same profile that didn't boom a lot, we just called them outright bus. Uh, so I don't think there's actually that many clear boom or bust receivers even. So like I, I have a little bit of a different philosophy on receiver. Generally, I don't mind the high variance. I kind of swerve into it. I like to, to target high weekly upside uh, and understand that guys are going to have some down weeks on my rosters. Um, yeah. Okay. Dave, how, how do you feel? You, what do you think? Well, I, I just want to kind of pick up Ben's brain here for a little bit. So if you had to rank the types of different receivers in fantasy football, obviously you would want the high volume, high production studs with a lot of consistency at the top. Absolutely. Is second is the second thing you look for just the guys that could have smash weeks where they're putting up 40 plus in PPR, or would you rather have guys that it might be consistent for half the year? Brandon Cooks is the poster boy for at least Brandon Cooks before last year, where seven or eight games of, out of the whole season, he'll come through for good fantasy production, 15 plus in PPR, 10 plus in non PPR. If you had to pick between those two categories, call it Will Fuller or Brandon Cooks, and it's funny how they're teammates now. Which category do you shoot for first on draft day? What's the difference between Fuller and Cooks? Sorry, Cooks is more consistent, you're saying? Cooks, or was? Cooks is, more, Cooks is more consistent than Fuller, but doesn't necessarily have the same amount of smash weeks. All right, so Fuller, in a given season, he might have four or five games where he's just awesome. And thank God you started him and he's not on your bench. And for those other... 11 or 12 games, you're kind of like, why the hell did I start him? He should have been on my bench. Versus Brandon Cooks, who who you draft knowing, okay, half the year, he's going to be good for my team. And the other half, I'll just take my lumps with his, you know, 10 points in PPR, seven points in non-PPR. So, yeah, I guess my answer would be I don't really have a preference. I see those guys as very similar, and I think the, the, the differences that you're drawing are kind of just variants. Like Cooks showed that last year when he was no longer a guy who could do it for eight games. And Fuller, I think, still has in his potential range uh, future seasons I don't want where you to he use, is that I, type of guy. Right. I don't want you to use those two as the example. Okay. I, I, I want you to just say, let me know which type of receiver you like better on draft. I'm going to ask Heath the same thing and sure. then Adam after you. Sure. Yeah. I think um, both of those guys I would kind of classify similarly because they have the high uh, average depth of targets. They're downfield guys. And with that, you have more valuable targets. Targets don't matter more than air yards. They matter about two to one more than air yards, but air yards are very significant yeah. and downfield targets are more valuable and more particularly downfield uh, weapons are the guys that we see have these splash efficiency seasons where they, they crush. And then we all talk about regression the next year, but those are, those are downfield profile type receivers almost exclusively that have those huge efficiency seasons. Um, So I'm targeting guys like that, both Fuller and cooks earlier in his career before I was more worried about concussions fit the type of receiver that I, that I targeted because they're guys that I think could smash in efficiency and their targets are more valuable than what the market, maybe like ADP is, is justifying because I think targets are still focused on more than, than air yards. 
relative Heath, to their, their values. Heath, receiver who's good half the year or receiver who's got four or five smash weeks over the course of the year? I don't like, I don't think there are very many in that four or five smash week category that actually are, I draft or are drafted in the first 30 or 40 wide receivers generally. Um, I think like if you're only going to have four good weeks all year long, you're just a bad fantasy option. Most. Okay. Um, but what I will say is I think like everything Ben said, I was sitting here listening. I think that makes perfect sense for what Ben values generally. And I think I value that more in a non PPR league as well. He's right. Those downfield targets have the big outlier games they also are more likely to not give you anything at all in a given week because they have to make do on their five or six targets that they're going to get that week, and they might boom on them and they might not do anything on them. So I I do think that you need to do a good job with receivers. We talk about it with running backs, with guys like Tariq Cohen and James White. We talk about it with Julian Edelman and how you only want to draft him in PPR. Maybe Jarvis Landry is that way for a while. Jamison Crowder might be that way now. Sterling Shepard. But... I don't necessarily agree about Shepard. He he gets about a yard or two more per reception than those other guys we were talking about. But okay. Um, but I do think there's also the other side of that equation, where someone and I would say Kenny Galladay and AJ Brown, but they might happen to get a lot more targets this year, or a lot more of like I I may poo poo them at a certain point in the draft in PPR. Whereas in non PPR, I think Kenny Galladay might be a top five or six wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I agree on Brown too. I think Brown's a top 12 type of receiver and non PPR compared to PPR. Adam, what's your take? <laughs> uh, well, I don't really want to give my take. I, I, I've, I've gathered through the, uh, through the comments that people don't really want me to give my take that much. So. I'm oh, at- come on. No, no, let's hear it, Adam. Come on. No, I, 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 we want to uh, hear it. I'm not sure. I, I really don't care have a, what those comments say. We I'm not care really what you sure. Say. I have an answer to that question. I don't like the guys who, who are really boomer bust. I, Ben said that, he doesn't really consider that a thing, I guess, the boomer bust. I do, but only with a few players. The the guy, yep. oh, the two that I always used to avoid in drafts in their primes were Emmanuel Sanders and Deshaun Jackson. Uh, and I still think those guys are boomer bust receivers, but uh, now you can get them super late. But you had to use like a round six pick on them. So that, that player would probably be Marvin Jones, who I'm probably not going to take unless I can get him in round seven or later, which I might be able to. Um, Will Fuller, I think Will Fuller has a chance for more consistency. So I, I don't buy that he's just the guy that he has been. I think in 2018, he was extremely consistent. And now he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins. It's an opportunity for him to be very consistent and be very awesome. I look for targets and I look for young wide receivers. There's one thing that I'm really buying into. It's what we've seen from sophomore wide receivers. I think year two is the year that wide receivers take a big leap. We have seen it over and over again. Guys like Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, DJ Chark, Cortland Sutton, Michael Gallup. They were not top 40 in ADP. And they all had very good sophomore seasons. Some of them had incredibly good sophomore seasons. So I'm looking at last year's rookies to take a big step forward. I wasn't really answering your question, Dave, but that's You're going to nail that, by the way. I hope so. I'm a little worried that no training camp. I know it's going to be bad for the rookies or, you know, that the altered offseason, let's just say. Mm-hmm. It might not be good for the sophomores. I mean, this that could have been a really valuable time for them. Uh, all the mini camps and all the offseason OTAs, all that stuff. Maybe that would hold them back. But I think we are ready for that group of wide receivers, the 2019 rookies, to take over a little bit. And they could right. all outperform their ADP. 
or most of the them. ones with it with a hat tip to Heath, the ones that are in a situation that's just as some it, it's exactly the same as last year. They don't have a new quarterback. They don't have a new offense to learn. Everything is steady from 2019. Those will be the ones you'll see the the biggest step up from one of the one of the big things to look at with that as well um i just wrote about second year receivers uh at cbs you can go to cbsports.com see my comments on all the individual players but i i gave a hat tip to a guy named blair andrews who works over at rotaviz and he did some research that showed that highly efficient rookies see substantially more ppr points in year two than inefficient rookies um and he is defining efficiency based on um, like expected fantasy points of where the targets occurred on the field. So like red zone targets are worth more. Um, and it was for two reasons. One, those players tended to stay more efficient, slightly more efficient than the inefficient rookies in their, in their ensuing season. But more importantly, they gained a ton of opportunity compared to the inefficient rookies. And this is work he did last off season. And as I was writing about the second year rookies, I realized that, almost all the ones that you're seeing going in the, in the high leverage rounds, actually all the ones that you're seeing going in the high leverage rounds were efficient last year as rookies on, on their target opportunity. They're all set up to see um, if the long-term trend is any example to see uh, an uptick in opportunity and potentially to stay more efficient than average based on these long-term trends. All right. We'll certainly get into that a little bit more. Um, I also, kind of looked at the year two, like we did this exercise a few months ago of saw of receivers who had 900 more yards in their rookie season since 2000. And when you look at the list, it is a really, really good list. But the ones who took a step back in year two, like um, I think Michael, Eddie Royal, Michael Clayton, um, some of them were kind of a victim of quarterback play. And so I don't know, that, that could be a little bit of a concern for some of those guys. But uh, but like not DK Metcalf, that's a good thing. But anyway, um, some more overall thoughts. And and by the way, this is this is wide receiver preview part one, part two. You know we're going to go through ADP. This one is going to be more general, more strategy focused stuff like that. Is there a spot in the draft that you guys feel is is great for wide receivers? I always take wide receivers in round whatever. Four. Hundred percent. Yeah. Three, four, three, four, five. Not surprising that, if anyone's heard what, me talk this year. Is that fair to say three, four, five is the wide receiver gold mine? It is for me. I feel like anywhere after round one, you can find a receiver who's worth the pick. But if you're looking for big value, I think, I think rounds four and five, and I think you might be able to make a case for seven and eight as well. I love that way you just phrased that. Players. Not to cut you off, but yeah. I love the way you phrase that. Anywhere you can it's find really a receiver. That, that's how deep receiver is this year, Ben. But then the answer is, where is running back the worst value? And that's that running back dead zone I've talked so much about. That's where there's not as much upside. We're drafting guys on projected workloads that we don't actually love. The ones we love, we rank in the top 15. The next ones are just the starters for teams that we have to rank high, but we they don't typically do well. <laughs> So that's where there's the biggest gap, and that's where it makes the most sense to take receiver, like you said. The, yeah. the four or five mm-hmm. range is like where it makes the most sense. Heath, I want you to weigh in on that, where the best spot is. And then Dave also said that anyone after round one can give you good value. But I think what I find interesting about wide receiver this year is, you know, ADP doesn't really have it this way because ADP is a little higher on on Hopkins than we are, than most of us are. Dave, I think, is the high guy on Hopkins. But I feel like uh, Thomas, Adams, Hill, 
and Julio Jones are, I feel like they're like this podcast's top four. And then I think there's a lot of uh, discrepancies in the round two or the tier two guys. Some people like Godwin. Some people like Hopkins. Some people think DJ Moore belongs there or Juju. Uh, I don't know that, like, we've used, we previously have had a top seven or eight that seems set in stone. I don't really feel that way this year. I wanted your take on that and on just kind of where you think wide receiver is really strong as well. Yeah, I mean, I think anywhere in the first four rounds. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say that I always take a wide three wide, round three wide receiver, but I often do. The times that I don't, it's because I took one in round one and round two. Like Dave mentioned, any time after round one, and a lot of drafts, that means Tyreek Hill and Julio Jones. They have ADPs after round one, and I think that's just spectacular. If I can get Michael Thomas or Devonte Adams at the end of the first, though, I love that. You're absolutely right. We've got those four that I or. Th- pretty close to a consensus top four. And I, in my projections, actually don't have DJ Moore that far behind them, but you can't put him in the same tier because for one thing, he hasn't done it yet. And he's got a new quarterback and a new coach and all that stuff. Um, but I do think there's a there's a lot of discrepancy in how you feel about DeAndre Hopkins changing teams, how you feel about Chris Godwin with a new quarterback and how much Gronk affects him. How you feel about DJ Moore taking the next step, or even like realistically, Mike Evans should be in that discussion. Juju deserves to be in that discussion after what he did two years ago. So it, it's a little bit messy after those top four, which is another, I guess, argument for you don't have to choose which one to take in the back half of round two. A couple of those guys will be there in the front half or back front half of back three, and you can just take that one. Yeah, and, and Cooper Cup is a great example. Dave has Cooper Cup 7th. Heath has him 10th. Jamie has him 15th. ADP has him in the 4th round in half PPR. So I, I think, and yeah, it is consensus. Thomas, Adams, Julio, and Hill in some order. In fact, it's, it's exactly that in PPR. Thomas, Adams, Julio, Hill for uh, Jamie, Dave, and Heath. I don't have access to Ben's rankings. Is that how you have it too? Those top four? Yeah, those are my top four. All right, and then... You don't have AJ Brown up there? <laughs> nope. No, no, but like, obviously, there's just like there's a big group that goes after that top four that is going to be very different for for different analysts. And as Heath said, that maybe that's a reason to take a running back or Kelsey or something like that in round two, and wait, get that wide receiver in round three, maybe round four as well. I have more wide receiver questions for you in just a bit. I am very excited, though, to talk about our new sponsor, a really, really cool website that I was messing around with uh, earlier this morning. It's called Grammarly. And Grammarly, it's a digital writing assistant that helps more than 20 million people put their best words forward. You can sign up for free, but what you really want to do is get Grammarly Premium. That's what I have. It is incredibly helpful, and we're giving you 20% off Grammarly Premium. If you go to Grammarly.com slash FFT, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash FFT, 20% off. All right, what is Grammarly? So you're writing something, you're preparing something. This could be for LinkedIn. It could be you're giving a speech. It could be whatever. Uh, Your podcast notes, if you're me, you can upload a document. Yeah, you can upload a document to Grammarly. You can type right on the website. I did that this morning. And the notes that Grammarly comes back with, the suggestions are so helpful and things that you would never really think of. So sometimes it's just removing superfluous words and making your sentence stronger or more concise. Sometimes they suggest synonyms to make your vocabulary your vocabulary better. They can't help you speak, unfortunately. 
Um, I didn't realize how much better, though, my writing could be until I uploaded that document to Grammarly and I saw all the things that I could be doing better. So stop using boring and bland words and start using exhilarating and rousing and stimulating words. And you can thank Grammarly for those synonyms there, by the way. Start writing better. Start being more confident. Build your writing skills with Grammarly and get 20% off Grammarly Premium when you sign up at Grammarly.com slash FFT. That's 20% off at Grammarly.com slash FFT. 20% off Grammarly Premium. G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash FFT. All right, back to the wide receivers. Got an overall strategy? Overall wide receiver strategy, Dave. I am probably going to bake in drafting receivers with how I feel about running backs and when I when I can find steals at quarterback and tight end. Meaning that I'm not going to target any specific receiver with the first six rounds of my draft. There's a lot who I like and plenty that I'm comfortable taking in any of those rounds. But if I need a running back and there's one that I like, I'm going to veer in that direction first. If there's a quarterback that falls and I love the value, I feel like I'm stealing him from my league, I'm taking him. Same thing with tight end. But when I don't have a running back quarterback or a tight end that I don't love and I don't feel like is a great value or a position of need in the case of running backs, I'm going right to that wide receiver pool. I'm diving in. And uh, Speedo also. And I'm absolutely going to take a wide receiver because I know there will be one there that will be a good value. Okay, great great value on Speedos these days. Heath, what's your wide receiver strategy if you have one? You know, I always focus most of my offseason on coming up with positional strategies <laughs> that I stick to no matter what my league does. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I am fully prepared for this segment um, I would like to have three wide receivers by the end of round six. Um, receivers a lot more important, obviously, in three wide receiver and PPR leagues. And it's important, like I generally plan on filling my flex with a receiver. Yeah. Okay. Great. See, you have strategy. You don't even realize you are full of strategies. I you- just... I, I found things to say. You're the strategy guy. Every strategy question I'm directing to you from now on, that was a beautiful answer. Ben, how about you? I was almost going to give the exact same strategy as Heath gave, but it's for me, it's essentially, as in especially in PPR leagues, it's four wide receivers probably by the end of round eight, which is where I think the significant wide receiver drop-off is. It's later than most significant tier drops that we see in drafts, but it's about 40 receivers into drafts. Um, by about that point after Christian Kirk's kind of the last straggler that I, that I always like to get a little bit later than he, I think should go by about that point. I want to make sure I have, uh, four receivers, if not five. And that's typically when I'm going to turn over to running back. I think these are good general points. Sorry, Heath. Um, but you've got to keep in mind that scoring league scoring and, and roster limits matter a lot. If I'm in a 10 team league and I only need to start two wide receivers, I'm probably, I might prioritize the position even less, but if I'm in a 14 team non PPR and I got to start three wide receivers, well, the talent pool isn't as good there as it would be in pretty much any other league. I don't know how many of you listening are actually in that exact type of format. It'd be pretty amazing if even a hundred of you are, but I, I, (laughs) if that's the situation you're in, then there's probably a little bit more pressure to fill your roster with wide receivers. And that was the point that I was making. In PPR, I think 
a three wide receiver league with one flex should be viewed as a four wide receiver league. The number 36 wide receiver is going to be a lot better than the number 36 running back. The number 48 wide receiver is going to be even more so better than the number 48 running back. And so those flexes, maybe not, maybe you start with three running backs and just have bad yeah, wide receivers. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Those, those flexes are going to most likely be wide receivers. The thing I was going to ask Ben, and this happened in our mock last night, I think, how do you prevent feeling like, oh no, I took four receivers in the first six rounds and now I've had to pass on Christian Kirk three rounds in a row because he's the best value on the board, but I don't need any more receivers. I don't have any other players at any positions. How do I prevent that? I mean, that that is something that goes wrong with this early wide receiver thing. Is that Very like, rarely. I mean, it, happened, it happened in the Twitch mock the other night and I was fine. I was taking running backs that I liked at that range, but typically I... Um, I was going to take, I was picking third and I was going to take either um, Andrews or Ertz on one of the turns and both the first and second pick took Ertz and Andrews. And so I didn't take, you know, uh, that was at the four five turn. So five Oh three, I went with another receiver, which I wasn't intending to do there. Uh, I did wind up even wider receiver heavier than usual there. Uh, but typically the way that it works out. I, so what I did was I started with Kamara and I took five straight receivers. And then eventually I, I had to pass on guys like Kirk, but I, Typically, I'm not taking five receivers in the first six rounds. I think you do want five good receivers on your roster, especially if you're starting four. There's bye weeks, um, and there's the possibility of people missing time this year as well. Like I think we want depth everywhere this year. We've talked about that. And then if that happens with Kirk, yes, I'm missing out on one guy in Kirk that I like, but I'm I'm just moving over to running back at that point. Uh, but I agree totally with your point that flex should be considered basically the receiver. I also agree with Dave's point. If you're playing in a 10 team league with two receivers, though, definitely add more receivers. It's way too shallow. Um, okay. In terms of the flex having to be a receiver, I mean, I suppose if you take two running backs, then you take three wide receivers and you're sitting there in round six or round seven, maybe you have a quarterback or a tight end. And now you're deciding on your flex. Okay. Yeah. The wide receiver is probably going to be better than the running back there, but yeah, if you take three receivers, three running backs with you, you're in a three receiver PPR league, maybe running backs are falling and you take three running backs with your first three picks, you know, I think he's actually kind of mentioned that. I think you can get right. away with that. Right? I think I, if you do that, you're locking in missed games. That's what I believe. Like, if you if you take three running backs with their first three picks to get 16 games from each, you probably win your league. Yeah, I mean, okay, but so you take uh, Saquon Barkley in round one, and then Aaron Jones fell to you in round two, and then you love James Conner, who, if he stays healthy, certainly has 50 catch potential, if not more, based on what we've seen. I, I don't know how you feel about Jalen Samuels this year, but based on what we've seen from Conner himself, I mean, he could be good in PPR. I wouldn't do that. I would not do that, but a lot of people would. But you to, get to Ben's point, to Ben's point, and like the fragility of running back, you run through the simulator on Saquon Barkley, Aaron Jones, and James Conner over the past three seasons. What are the odds you're getting 48 games from those three? It's extremely low. Does that matter? Because you, yeah, you're not, it does. You're, well, you're going to get your top you're three get, picks. You're going to get 48 games from your first three wide receivers. Not necessarily, but to your point about the flex as well is what I was saying. Then you're probably starting this even later round receiver at flex to replace one of your top three picks missing games. But what Dave said earlier about all the wide receivers that have averaged 10 or more PPR fantasy points, the replacements on the waiver wire at wide receiver, I mean, you can go get someone and plug them in at flex. It's not ideal, but it's but so much can. deeper. It's so much deeper than running back. You can almost find a flex, a PPR flex every week off the waiver wire. 
Yeah, I, I mean, we feel literally spend a couple of minutes each week on FFT and on this podcast mentioning players who you could use as a fill-in. I do think you guys are overstating that a little. He said 49 receivers each year. That would be in a normal 12-team league, about four receivers per team. We all take six. Like, I mean, unless you're playing in a really shallow league, and I agree, in really shallow leagues, you can. In some of the shallow leagues we played at, at CBS last year, I picked up Cortland Sutton and Tyler Boyd last year. I thought it was r- wild. But <laughs> right. I the most of the leagues I play in, the, you, you're 75 to 80 receivers rostered in the league. Uh, fair enough. Um, okay, so I got some more questions. Let's do some sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Let's talk a little bit about round one and how many wide receivers do you think should go in round one and when you're going to take Michael Thomas and how format matters and all that. I mean, I think Dave like doesn't have any, do you have any non PPR round one wide receivers? I have Michael Thomas at 12th. Okay. Uh, okay. In half PPR and full PPR, how many wide receivers should go in round one? I think four is it fine. I think you should expect four. Yeah. Three to four. Yeah. I might, I might say, Three or two, even. Okay. Uh, how many wide receivers are better than Travis Kelsey? Better as in should be drafted before Travis Kelsey. Good question. Only two for sure. Um, but up two to four. Up to four. It's somewhere between, like, and I think league structure and scoring and all that stuff probably dictates whether Julio or Tyreek is better than Kelsey. But Adams and Thomas for sure. I'll go a little bit deeper, and this is just my personal choice. I think the answer is six. But you're also hearing from someone who loves DeAndre Hopkins and doesn't think he's going to miss too much of a beat in Arizona, and someone who thinks Chris Godwin's going to continue to be that slot guy for Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. Now, if you disagree with those takes, then you're probably going to take Kelsey ahead of both of them, and there's probably nothing wrong with that. I just I, I can't get behind Kelsey as a first-round pick. I think he's an early two at best. And I have three receivers ahead. I have Hill ahead of Adams, which I've noted before. So those three, Thomas, Hill, and Adams. Is that in PPR that you've got Hill ahead of Adams? Yes, but I think in in half or non, I would I would obviously just lean that way more. because I mean, I, I know Adams I is that. very good in those formats as well, but Hill mm-hmm. is very good in those formats. Hill's yeah. got more upside. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think you answered. I know Ben answered this. Uh, about 40 wide receivers, I think was his answer. But at what point in your rankings do, do wide receivers just get like disgusting? Don't really want these guys anymore. It's later than that for disgusting for me. All right. So unappealing. I'll use Grammarly. 38. <laughs> 38. <laughs> 38. Okay. I've got Sammy Watkins at 60th. So I will say 60 oh. or 59. Okay. Watkins is the, uh, Watkins is the is after unappealing that. guy. <laughs> yeah. How about that? <laughs> All right. Uh, Going to be on the probably number one pass offense in the NFL. and uh, He might be the number four target. Might he might be the number five target on the number one pass offense in the NFL. Clyde. Yeah. All right. Clyde getting in there. Um, all right. Who's, uh, well, before sleepers break out some bus, when are you taking Michael Thomas? Seventh overall in PPR if the first six picks are the big four running back plus Edwards Elaire plus Miles Sanders. And in non-PPR, there's I'm not gonna name all the eleven running backs I would take ahead of him. So I'll say the one two turn in non-PPR. Wait, Dalvin Cook's not even in your top seven? Oh yeah, Dalvin Cook should be there. So I guess that means eight for Michael Thomas. Okay. 
I'm five just writing off Dalvin Cook already. He hasn't even played it down yeah. yet. <laughs> five in PBR. Five in PBR. Eight and nine. I, I would take him either six or seven in PPR with Cook ahead of him. And the questionable running back for me would be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And in non-PPR? I think I would take a running back re- probably regardless. I, I, I think Thomas loses so much value in non-PPR as much as I love him. But I, mm-hmm. I would, I'd probably bump him all the way back to like 12, to be honest. It really does. I mean, it's... The catches are just incredible for him. Over 122 years in a row. It's just so such an advantage over running backs, you know. But um, how about half PPR? I, I really feel like we don't talk enough about half PPR. Where do you think you're taking Michael Thomas in half PPR? Probably 12. Probably the exact same spot. And not As non PPR, right? Yeah, Probably he just that. doesn't provide that that huge of a gap over guys like ah. Hill and Adams gain so much value in non, and you can get them in the second round on the turn. So if I'm at like nine, I might just be happy with Hill and Adams in the second. But half PPR, not non. Yeah, sorry, in half. Yeah. See, I think, I think I'd think i be closer to where I am in PPR. Um, like it's 60 points. We're talking about difference between non-PPR and or maybe 55 difference between non-PPR and half PPR for Michael Thomas, and he doesn't move at all between non-PPR and, and half yeah, it's just more about roster construction the way that I was thinking of it. But Me too. He should, he should move value-wise, sure. All right, sleepers, breakouts, and busts. I just want to promote a few things real quick. To celebrate draft season and to thank you for all, uh, all of you for being such loyal listeners, we're giving away a 75-inch and a 55-inch TV. The contest is completely free to enter. Go to cbssports.com slash giveaway. And I'll also include the link in the episode description. But again, cbssports.com slash giveaway. You probably don't need the episode description for that, but, you know, do that anyway. Giveaway ends August 17th. Play on CBSSports.com, everybody. You're listening. You're a diehard fantasy football player. You love fantasy football. You deserve to be playing in our commissioner product on CBSSports.com. In fact, I'm going to bring in Ben Schrager because Ben Schrager, I'm not sure he played on CBS before he started working for CBS, but then he started playing, and he can tell you how much better it is than the old, stupid, ugly loser sites that he used to play on. Right, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I've played on every other site before being hired here. I come here, and now I have completely customizable league. Kicker points, 44-yard field goal can be 4.4 4 points. That's my favorite feature. <laughs> that's why Heath joined CBS. Uh, that's why you should play at CBS, everybody. Kicker points are customizable. Uh, but, like, the dynasty settings are really cool and really customizable, and it's just for... Auction room. Yeah, it's really good. Draft, draft room recap. is really easy. By the way, are, you, eat, are you eating something? It's absolutely hilarious. Shrag, are you eating something? Yeah, I've got some sunflower seeds in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I eat Saturday. David's sun- Jumbo Ranch. All right, all right. It's always baseball season for Ben Schrager. College baseball pitcher, everybody, in case you don't know that. Get to know your producer. All right, everybody, let's do it. Favorite sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Schrager, who's your favorite sleeper? Uh, no, Gretch, other Ben. Who's your favorite sleeper? <laughs> well, you don't want to hear from Schrager just because he's got some sunflower seeds in his Ben Schrager, do you have a favorite uh, sleeper wide receiver? Well, my my favorite, like... Yeah, Mikkel Hardman. Okay, Mikkel Hardman for Schrager. Ooh, I dig it. That's one of my favorite sleepers for sure. Uh, but my favorite, like, true, true sleeper, you can get him in any league late, is LaVisca Chenault. But the way that we kind of look at sleepers is, is more just got, you know, earlier rounds. And I'll say Christian Kirk for that person. Um, Kirk wasn't very efficient last year. He was much more efficient as a rookie. And the 
essentially the entire change is if you, if you go look at airyards.com, you can graph it by depth of target. He was very efficient on downfield targets in his rookie season. He was very inefficient last year on downfield targets for his two years combined. He's slightly better than league average um, and has looked fine. And he was a very young rookie. He's going into his, I believe his age, maybe it's going to be, he's going to turn 24 during the season this year, but he was uh, a young 22 in his rookie year. Um, so I, I think this is a guy who, and he was also playing through an ankle injury last year, led the team in targets. Um, I think this is a guy who everybody is writing off because DeAndre Hopkins is in town now, but I expect the Cardinals to throw a lot more because of any way you slice their pace stats. They were a lot quicker paced than their actual play volume. They should run more plays. They should then throw more because of that. I think Kyler Murray is going to take up a significant step forward as a passer. And you can see how much he grew in the second half of the season versus the first half of the season. Um, and, and I think Kirk is really well positioned now to see a lot less defensive attention because he's not the main guy. Last year, he was the guy. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald was moving around in the slot, but he was the main guy and leading the team in targets. Like I said, you have Hopkins now. He has kind of this Will Fuller advantage where he gets to work off of DeAndre Hopkins like Fuller did for so many years in Houston. I think Kirk is going to have a pretty big season and show that last year was just kind of a fluky injury prone second year. On the topic of Chenault, by the way, uh, I saw Pete Prisco in person for the first time in four months. And the first two words he says to me when I see him is LaVisca Chenault. Yes. So he uh, and he's pretty wired in in Jacksonville. And I've been writing uh, a rookie receiver story. You can read that on CBS Sports. You'll get a download on every single rookie and where to draft him. Chenault was an interesting one to go back to because he can literally line up anywhere. I mean, he even played Wildcat quarterback for Colorado. And I think he ran for seven touchdowns last year on top of what he did as a receiver. And he's one of the this new breed of wide receiver who isn't very tall but is thick and can make plays after the catch with power and speed versus just speed, which is what a lot of receivers can do. It reminds me of A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel a little bit. Not that those guys aren't fast, but they're powerful. They're like running backs when they have the ball in their hands after the catch. And Chenault is in that same type of mold, I believe. So it's just a matter of Jacksonville using him to to his strengths and using him a lot in yeah. that offense. And he could be good. I've read this before, but I basically treat the wide the position previews as if we're welcoming in new listeners who decided they were too cool to listen to us during the offseason. So I'll read it again. After the draft, CBSSports.com wrote this. I don't remember who exactly the author was. I'm sorry, but they, we wrote this about Chenault. For as much as Gardner Minshew liked to work the back shoulder game with Chark and Conley last season, most of his attempts were in the quick game underneath. The 2019 rookie averaged 7.5 intended air yards per NFL uh, per NFL Next Gen stats, which tied for the 10th lowest figure among 38 qualifying quarterbacks. Um, blah, blah, blah. That's where Chenault thrives. According to PFF's draft guide, Chenault forced 44 missed tackles over the past two years, the highest total of any receiver in the 2020 class, and he accomplished that in just 20 total games. Yeah, yeah. Like perfect perfect fit. compliment to DJ Chark. One more thing I want to note, because Dave hit on all the comps perfectly. I just used those two comps in a, in our Sleepers article this week. Um, uh, the is is that uh D, sorry dd westbrook is 27 in the last year of his rookie contract has never had 800 yards in a season chris conley's 28 also in the last year of his contract has never had eight yards in a season that's his competition for the number two role perfect compliment to dj chark and those two guys aren't a part of the future probably for jackson but whenever yeah. they're good again they have all the incentive in the world this season. They're not going to be good to see what they have in Chenault. So I, I expect Chenault to play plenty. All right, let's go sure. a little well, faster. Well, if he stays healthy, let's, that's yeah. part of the problem. Let's go a little faster here. We can't uh, 
I want to get to as many sleepers breakouts. You don't want to spend possible. ten more minutes on Levis. I don't think all so. That. I don't. I mean, I do, but it's about the listeners. Uh, Heath, who's your favorite sleeper? Well, I'll also say that I've drafted 15 teams that I'm playing out this year so far, and over half of them have LaVisca Chenault, so he would probably be my answer. But I will say, like, I try to look at my favorite wide receiver with an ADP outside of the first 10 rounds, and that would definitely in PPR be Jamison Crowder. It's underrated how good he was with Sam Darnold last year. He was on pace in 13 games, so a pretty big, big sample for 223 PPR fantasy points would have been 19th. I think the same number that Cortland Sutton had last year. And now the Jets have like 160 targets to replace at wide receiver from last year, the most in the NFL. They brought in Brashad Perryman. They brought in Denzel Mims. But Crowder's the one that has that connection with Sam Darnold. And we have seen it time and time again in the Adam Gase offense. It's Jarvis Landry. It's Jamison Crowder. It's those slot wide receivers that dominate the targets in his offense. I think Crowder has a legitimate shot at 130 targets this year and being a top 20 wide receiver. Yeah, the 13-game pace for Crowder with Darnold was, or the 16-game pace with Darnold was 86 catches, 933 yards, seven touchdowns on 133 targets. Uh, Dave, your favorite sleeper? I'm going to give you three names, but I'll only really dive into one of them. The first two, you could do the friendship strategy with Jalen Rager and Deshaun Jackson and hope that one of the two ends up being great. Did that last year with Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin. It was all right. Worked out for Baltimore. I think one of those two will end up being very good for fantasy, and you can get them. I think Rager's ADP is like 118th. So it's round 10 for sure. It's not after round 10, but definitely good value there. And then Steven Sims in Washington. This is an offense that needs some playmakers. McLaurin's the top guy in the passing game. I think Sims has a chance to be the second best guy. He can line up in the slot. He can line up wide. He's got good speed. And last year, 15-plus PPR points in each of his last three games. So Hopefully that's a springboard for him to step into a bigger role and see a lot of targets for a Washington team that has a huge question mark at running back. May end up having to throw a decent amount this year. Let's do breakouts. Dave, Heath, Ben, go. Breakout wide receiver. Goodness. It feels like Calvin Ridley and DK Metcalf and AJ Brown are like everybody's top breakout choices. And I don't really love doing what everybody else is doing, but I get it. I'm going to say Ridley. I think Calvin Ridley does have a chance to exceed the numbers he's put up, not total the last two seasons, but individually. You know, he matched his rookie year numbers in his second season, almost matched it, and he played fewer games. I could see him stepping up more this year. Don't think he's going to be up to where Chris Godwin was last year, but certainly get a lot closer to 85, 90 catches this year. And uh, maybe get back to double-digit touchdowns in that Atlanta offense. Calvin, really very popular breakout, and uh, yeah, I took him on Tuesday night in a draft earlier than I wanted to. But if you like a guy, you take it was like mid-third round. What did I have? The fourth pick in that draft, so fourth pick of round three. Um, okay, Heath, who's your favorite breakout? I was going to say Calvin Ridley, so I didn't say DJ Moore, but sorry, Ben, I'm saying DJ Moore. Uh, like if, if you have 1,100 yards playing with Kyle Allen, you are awesome, especially if you do it at the age that he did it. He has a little touchdown regression that's going to help him out. I would also expect he could be a little bit more efficient. Robbie Anderson should help take a little pressure off of him. Um, if Teddy Bridgewater is legitimately good, then DJ Moore could be a top three wide receiver this year. 
and he is a third-year receiver who's in a new offense with a new quarterback, and we started this podcast by talking about how that could be troublesome for wide receivers. But we really, I, I, I'll speak for myself, I think I've got a good beat on what Carolina's going to do. And that's fast-hitting passing game. Accuracy is important inside of 15 yards. Let the receivers make a play after the catch. That's what LSU did last year with Joe Burrow. They won the national championship. It worked great. That is a perfect setup for DJ Moore. That fits all of his strengths perfectly. DJ Moore, his ADP is also very favorable. You might be able to get him late round three or into round four. And in our drafts, DJ Moore could be a round two pick. He is one player, though, that I've sort of identified, at least in my opinion, as having some of the toughest cornerback matchups in the NFL. And I was surprised when we talked about slot receivers. His slot percentage was extremely low last year. So he's mostly lined up on the outside. He's got the Bucks twice and they were great against number one wide receivers late in the year last year and some of the best number one wide receivers in the NFL. So Bucks in week two, the Chargers in week three, they allow the third fewest fantasy points to wide receivers last year. Arizona in week four, Patrick Peterson. Chicago in week six, I don't know how tough that'll be. New Orleans in week seven, he didn't face Marshawn Lattimore in 2019. Uh, At Kansas City in week nine, wide receivers typically don't do very well at Kansas City. Uh, Tampa Bay again in week 10 couple tough corners with Green Bay in week 15. Um, So I don't know. Does that matter to you? I I think DJ Moore does on paper have some very difficult cornerback matchups. You're assuming that all those teams are going to use their best corner against him. Uh, Yes, correct. Well, I don't know if they're all going to do that. Some of them might play zone and just tell their cornerbacks to line up well, on but a they, certain but they spot have, on the field. Not only do they have good cornerbacks, they do well against number one wide receivers. I mean, Patrick Peterson. Sure. Tampa Bay. I, I get Patrick, what you're you know. saying. I would look at the pass rushes and figure out which ones could actually get to Bridgewater in three seconds or less, because that's going to be what might ruffle Bridgewater and hurt his completion rate in those games. And you mentioned a lot of teams that have some pretty good pass rushes. Uh, well, um, what, uh, no. Okay. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. All right. I just need to okay. bring it up. Uh, ben, who's your favorite breakout? Um, these guys hit some good ones. It, it probably should be AJ Brown if we're pretending like people didn't listen all offseason, but I'm I'm not going to say him because I no, think I, if you've listened to what, any what's episode. His, what's his ceiling? His ceiling? Yeah. Top five in, in any format. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm approaching it as people don't know that Ben Gretsch loves AJ Brown and the guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's concerns about year. target volume, and any player that I love is going to, um, like him, is going to be because I think there's so much there with talent and that, that there's a lot of upside if they do end up throwing more than expected. Um, and yeah, there's a lot, a lot we could get into on AJ Brown, but I want to highlight uh, Will Fuller actually. Uh, we've talked a lot about him, he's been banged up a lot. One guy I want to compare him to doesn't is not a natural comp at all. Keenan Allen. Uh, after Keenan Allen's fourth year, I remember I wrote about him, and this is part of the reason I, I think I think about him in relation to Fuller. One of the big points I made on Allen was that Allen's injuries occurred in his third and fourth year. People thought he was injury prone. He'd only played nine games in those two seasons. Um, and so at that point also, people would talk about how he hasn't been that good yet. But the vast majority of his games had come as a rookie and a second-year player. He had been better as a third and fourth year player, as he got a little older, as we expect players to progress, but he'd missed way more time in those seasons. So he hadn't played a high percentage of games. So his overall career numbers didn't look great. Fuller to me is very similar. If you look at Will Fuller's uh, first four seasons, he played the most games that he's played in any season as a rookie, 14 games. He saw 92 targets. He's never before seen or never since seen even more than 71 targets 
because he's never since played more than 11 games. Um, so his career numbers don't look amazing, but the last two years, his catch percentage has been massively better. His yards per target has been massively better. He's been significantly more efficient as a player. His per game numbers, his yards per game are great, but his per game numbers are also limited by the fact that yes, he's left a lot of games injured and we know that he's injury prone and we know that he could miss time, but he's got a lot of things working for him. He's going into his age 26 season, hasn't played a ton over the last couple of years, this is a guy who had an amazing prospect profile coming out, and I still care about that. It's not just about what he's done at the NFL level. That was true of Keenan Allen as well. Uh, I very much believe Keenan Allen had the talent to be an NFL receiver. I think Will Fuller does as well. And he showed that as soon as he stepped on the field as a rookie and a sophomore, even though he wasn't amazing, he was good. He was good for those ages. If Fuller stays healthy, he's the only receiver on that roster right now that has a, a significant um, uh, rapport with Deshaun Watson. And we know there's a shortened offseason. I don't think uh, Brandon Cooks is going to come in and be Deshaun Watson's clear number one over Fuller. And I don't think Randall Cobb's going to do that. So Fuller is a guy now without DeAndre Hopkins there. There's still enough other good players to draw attention from him at times. But he's been good enough and he has a long enough track record that I think if he stays healthy, he's going to have a monster season right as he's entering his prime that we haven't really seen him be able to put together yet because of injuries. I, I leaned forward because I was going to say something about Keenan Allen having a thousand yards as a rookie, but I, I had a better question. No troll. Um, at what point, cause he's Fuller's entering year five. Like is at what point for you Ben? Cause I don't, I think this is a question we've never answered. Do you stop caring about pedigree and draft? Like, is it seven years? Is it? No, it's not years. It's not year. It, like, so what career you care? No. Um, Will Fuller has been injured a lot. He has not played a lot of games. And so I'm looking at him holistically and our sample on him is pretty small. And what we have is 42 games. That's not even, that's like just a little bit more than two and a half seasons worth of games for a typical player. And I'm not acknowledging, or I'm not ignoring the fact that he's been injury prone. And then similar thing was true of Keenan Allen. And then the other point I was trying to make is even in that 42 game sample, 24 of those games, a lot more than half or a little bit more than half, at least we're in his first and second season when we don't expect guys to be elite. He's been much better in his 18 games the last two years, but he hasn't played as many games. And so it kind of masks the fact that he's now physically at a point where we should expect him to be really good. He's been efficient the last two years, but he just hasn't played a lot of games lately. It's more just a holistic thing where I think this guy has always been productive when healthy. He was productive at a young age at the NFL. It continued from college on. So I, I do still care about it with him. And I disagree with you, I guess, that he wasn't productive enough yet at this point to his career. I think he's been productive. I didn't say that. I was, it was a legitimate question. Like how yeah. long, cause I think somebody hears this and they're yeah. like, Will Fuller is 26 years old. He's been in the NFL for almost half a decade. At what point do we stop caring what round he was drafted in? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it makes it's sense. not what round he was drafted in. It's, it's the fact that he had, uh, you know, a thousand yards and 15 okay. touchdowns. At what point do we college. stop caring about his college stats then? Right. Like, at what point is he the guy who he's been in the NFL for, yeah. you know, the last four seasons? Yeah. But to support, at ben, what point I, do you I, accept that? I think people this is forget. not a Will Fuller question. This is a, phil- a philosophical, like, yeah. we talk about draft pedigree, I think, more than the average fantasy football player pays attention to. We talk about college production and what age they were for that college production a lot more than the average fantasy football player ever thinks about. And so when we're saying that about a second or third year player, I think that that intuitively probably holds value to everyone who's listening. When we're saying that about a fourth or fifth year player, I think they 
there's a question of like, at what point does that stop mattering? And to just like give you a straight, quick answer, it will stop mattering when it's no longer like explaining who the player is because his production is significantly different. But for this player, he's been hurt and he was good right when he entered the league and has had big games in every season, even though he's been a little bit sporadic. It To me, it still matters for this player. Look, I think people really overlook Will Fuller's 2018 season. He played seven games. He was on pace for like a thousand yards and eight touchdowns. And he had three games out of seven with a hundred yards and a touchdown. So was he completely consistent? No, but he was certainly good enough to to warrant being drafted where he's being drafted now, which is probably like the seventh round. I remember off the top of my head. And DeAndre Hopkins isn't on the team. So I mean there's just it seems like there's potential there. I mean, I, I support I support you, Ben. Hooray for I, Ben. What, that was not I know, a, I like, wasn't my, saying my you entire thing was not I, a Will Fuller question. I, I wasn't I saying it, no, mm, you I know was. what, Heath, I think I think um like Devontae Parker, right? He we I don't even know well, if anybody cared about his pedigree anymore. Then Corey but, Davis. He's been hurt for half the time he's in the NFL. We just found out he had had <laughs> toe surgery this offseason because he played with a broken toe all year last year. Those he, are great he, examples of guys who weren't as good at the NFL level. Um as I would argue, Fuller has been when you yeah, control for the I fact agree. that he's missed oh, so much time. For sure. All right, let's do busts now. Heath, who's the biggest bust? Oh, I'd really rather just look up Corey Davis's best games from his first two years. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he had, some, you he had some good ones. He, he had, had some, some real shining moments. Unfortunately, a couple of them happened in the playoffs, so we don't count those. Um, <laughs> no, biggest bust. I guess it's DeAndre Hopkins. Um, we've talked a lot about how many targets he's going to get, and I got talked up a little bit by Dave. And I've got him at like 140 now in Arizona. I think Jamie's expecting 130. The problem is I don't think it's fair at all to expect him to go from Deshaun Hudson to a new offensive system with a quarterback that all the evidence we have right now is not as good a passer as Deshaun Watson and be more efficient on a per target basis than he was with Deshaun Watson. And four of his last five years, he was below eight yards per target. I've got him projected at eight yards per target. So better than four of his last five years. So again, and trying to stretch to get to where everybody else is simple math, 140 times eight is 1120 yards. 1120 yards is almost never a top five wide receiver. Right. And eight yards per target. I mean, Tyreek Hill is usually over, over 10. Chris Godwin career is 10 yards per target. Um, Michael Thomas is 9.3, which is a little bit low, but Hopkins and Devontae no, no, Adams. No, wait, 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 wait. No, no, compared three is not a little bit low. Compared it's to awesome. compared to Hopkins to compared to like Hill and right. Godwin. It's depth so. of target influence for Thomas. Um, the, the deeper the target, the higher the the, the YPT. It's a strict yeah. correlation. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Hopkins, when it comes to the truly elite wide receivers, lags a little bit in in yards per target. Well, he did in 2019 and 2018. He had 9.9 yards per target. Okay, that's and part of the reason so he, he had one year. He had, typically, he had, in 2019, he had 20 deep ball targets. Only eight were catchable. I think that impacts him. He had more catchable targets that were deep and more deep targets overall in 2018. The question is, how often is he going to get targeted deep in Arizona? I, I think there's going to be at least 25 times this year where he will get thrown at 20 plus yards. More importantly, I think he's going to get targets constantly in the red zone. I think that's their solution for their red zone woes last year. They're just going to throw it up and let Hopkins make one of those one-handed behind his head catches like we've seen him do before. He's extremely talented. He is not a burner, but he can still get downfield and beat one-on-one coverage. 
I think he's going to see a lot of one-on-one coverage because that's how Arizona plays you. They spread out defenses. If you don't play one-on-one coverage against a wide receiver, there's probably somebody who's wide open. And even if it's Larry Fitzgerald, it's going to burn you. He's going to be very good this year. I don't think he's going to be top three good, but I, I, I'm easily taking him in round two if and he's there. This is another situation where we talked about with T.Y. Hilton, where and Ben had referenced this, where his average depth of target went way down last year, and Hopkins did fall last year. Like Hilton, the problem was, if your average depth of target falls, your yards after the catch should go up a little bit, and his didn't really move. He didn't really do much after the catch, despite the fact that he was catching the ball three yards closer to the line of scrimmage on average. All right, Dave, who's the biggest bust for you? I'll say Beckham. As much as I want to dig into Will Fuller and and why Ben's wrong on it, I'll save that for another time. But I think Odell Beckham's in a tough spot to, to bounce back from where he's been over the last three years or be better than what he was over the last three years. You know, he hasn't even had 1,100 yards each of the last three years or more than six touchdowns. And injuries have played a role. There's no doubt about it. But this is a Cleveland offense that we've been talking about all offseason long. They're going to be more conservative. They've got these two amazing running backs that they can lean on. They added Austin Hooper, who will absolutely make an impact in the red zone. And it looks like Jarvis Landry is going to be healthy. So I have a hard time believing Beckham's going to see more than the 8.3 targets per game. I think that goes down. And that was a career low for him. And when they get into the red zone, teams aren't going to say, well, we got to stop Austin Hooper and Jarvis Landry. They're going to stop Odell Beckham. And the Browns are going to say, cool, we're going to run it down your throat anyway so i think odell beckham could get overdrafted i don't like taking him in round three at all all right the the ideal odell beckham like the top shape odell beckham doesn't need red zone touchdowns though you know like he's a big playmaker but i don't know but but dave he's going ninth he's the ninth wide receiver off the board in fantasy yeah it's way too high it's it's higher you're drafting him because of what he did in his first three years with a completely different quarterback and team in the nfl all right uh ben finish the show with your biggest bust i don't actually have like clear busts at receiver where i think part of the reason i take so many receivers early is there it's more projectable volume targets are a lot more projectable um over a full season so i'll I'll just name a couple guys that i i typically don't draft but i don't necessarily think they're going to be terrible uh amari cooper is one i just think there's a that's going to be a more spread out offense and then Thielen is the one that i'll jump into adam Thielen, um low volume offense coming off a soft tissue injury at age 30 i don't hate Thielen. i don't think he's a bad player i think he's going to be fine he'll be a solid wide receiver too but to me the question of like Thielen or aj brown they're very similar they both should have the the clear number one role in their offenses, except Brown to me is a guy that you could hit on a generational elite wide receiver. Thielen's not going to necessarily do that at age 30. Uh, I know we haven't seen it before, like Keith likes to say, but I, I like to try to find guys before we've seen it. That's where you get a lot of uh, a positive surplus value. Um, so Thielen, it's, it would be Brown or it would be Diggs if I'm going to look at guys who are extremely talented, who could have career years in very similar situations. I don't get the risk uh, with, with the age and the coming off an injury for a guy like Thielen with his profile in a, in a low volume offense. Yeah. And I would say Thielen played hurt in 2018 too. So even though he didn't miss the games, there are, I think there are some injury concerns there for Adam Thielen. There's some volume concerns and I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you all about the volume concerns and what it means if you're on a team, 
On a team that's bottom five in the NFL in pass attempts, what it has meant over the last five years, how many times can you get a top 12 wide receiver in non-PPR? How many times can you get that in PPR? We'll talk all about that as we go through ADP tomorrow on Wide Receiver Preview Part 2. All right, good show, guys. Thank you very much. Remember to go to cbsports.com slash giveaway. Remember to go to cbsports.com slash fantasy and sign up for a league. Remember to tell your friends about our podcast. Uh, even if they're in your, eh, fine, not the ones in your league, I don't care. But everybody else, tell them about this podcast. For Dave, for Heath, for Ben, for other Ben, I'm Adam. See you later. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com.